Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to have some fun talking soil pH. This is one of the most important things you want to get right on your farm because when you do, you have a much better chance to maximize yields. It's going to help make fertility more available. It's going to help soil life be more abundant. It's just going to flat out help your crop overall, help your soil be healthier. Soil pH is so absolutely critical. Now, here's the first thing that I want to tell you today. Soil pH is, in part, the result of all the other things that have happened in your soil. So in other words, when we see your soil pH is way off, and by off, I mean this. Ideally, we'd like your soil pH in the sixes. Okay, If it's 5.8, if it's 7.3, it's not like it's the end of the world or anything. You can still probably raise pretty good crop. You're starting to get out of the, the ideal range. But when we start seeing stuff like 8 or 5, we usually have a problem. Something has gone wrong in our soil, and we want to figure out what that is and get it fixed so we can hopefully... Like I say, raise better crops. So we're going to talk about soil pH throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, AgPhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So we're going to be talking soil pH throughout the show today, but one of the areas in regards to pH that people... Uh, let's let's call it our uncomfortable talking about is how do you lower a high soil pH? Raising a low soil pH, pretty easy. You put lime on, done. Now, granted, I mean, you want to fix the other things that are wrong, and we don't want the pH to go way back low again. So there are a lot of things you can do there, and we can talk through that. But on this high pH side, that's where we see a lot of people really struggle. So... I'll give you a couple things as we as we start the show today. First of all, uh, we have done a number of seminars with Neil Kinsey. And if you've ever read any of his books, he talks an awful lot about soil pH. And I'm, I guess for Darren and me, we always say, look at pH first. Neil says, look at all the nutrients first, then look at pH. Because chances are, your pH is just the way it is because your nutrients are out of balance. So anyway, here are two things that Neil often says. Sodium raises soil pH 4 to 1 compared to calcium. 4 to 1! That's a big deal. So in other words, if you have sodium levels that are higher than they should be, and by that I mean over 1% in the base saturation test, well, guess what? You're probably going to have higher pH. So sodium, 4 to 1 compared to calcium in terms of raising pH. The other big one that he talks about is magnesium, 1.6 to 1 compared to calcium in terms of raising pH. So if you've got really high magnesium levels, over 20% in your base saturation test, then odds are pretty high you're going to be dealing with pH that is excessive as well. So those are two big things. Here's one other thing. When I mention, okay, if nutrients are out of balance, then your pH can be off. On our farm, we have some ground, put some tile in. And by the way, if you have high pH ground, your first step should be, let's make sure our drainage is great. So odds are you're going to need drain tile. 
I don't know that for sure without looking at it, but I'm just saying the odds are probably pretty good if you got high pH, you need drain tile. And the reason why is because we want to flush some of the excess things out, typically salts like sodium or magnesium. We can turn those into salts, flush them out, now we're in better shape. Okay, so here's my story. We had some high pH ground. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I'll just say it was something like the low 8s. Okay, so not good. And we tiled it. Then after a while, we were looking at the, the soil tests, and we go, whoa, okay, we got to get this fixed. Our base saturation K is 1, a little over 1, maybe 1.5. One so we put on enough potash to get the base saturation K to 4% or more. And very next year, come back, you know what happened to the pH? Down a half a point. And it stayed down over many years now. So if you ever would have told me, hey, potassium is going to lower your pH, I'd have said, no, come on, potassium doesn't lower pH. No, it doesn't directly. But when your soil is out of balance with nutrients, then your pH can go higher just like we were talking about with magnesium there or sodium. I, I mean, and for that matter, even calcium. You got 95% calcium in your soil. Chances are you're going to have higher pH. So we want to get those things fixed and get those things adjusted. And like I say, if we have excesses, we can turn them into salts and leach them out. So sodium by itself, not leachable. Magnesium by itself, it's probably going to stay in the soil. But I'll tell you what, when you combine sodium with sulfate or magnesium with sulfate, now you've got a salt and it's leachable. So that's why a lot of people talk about gypsum as the fix for sodic soils. Now, it may or may not be depending on how much calcium and sulfur are already in your soil. But I'm simply saying this is the reason why people say, oh, gyp you've got to use gypsum in sodic soil. It's like magic. Look, there's nothing that's magic. <laughs> it's all science. And if you need both calcium and sulfur, well, guess what? Gypsum's going to work great. And in a lot of cases in these sodic soils, that's what we're looking at. We got ridiculously high sodium, very little calcium and sulfur. You throw the calcium sulfate out there, gypsum, and the sulfate reacts with the sodium to form sodium sulfate, which is a salt and with good drainage that'll leach out over time. And then you leave calcium in the soils. So you're replacing the sodium with calcium. So that's great for soil structure and tilth and, and porosity and drainage. Anyway, there are always solutions to the problems. Now, sometimes we say, okay, well, we don't like the cost here. <laughs> probably not worth it. Maybe you're ahead to sell the ground or just put it into grass or non-crop or something. But I'm just saying we can fix pretty much any problem. So if you ever have soil issues that you go, Boy, I, I, I don't know what's going on with this field. I need help. You can send us your soil test, radio at agphd.com. We talk soil tests quite often here on the show. And today we're going to continue focusing on managing soil pH. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Managing soil pH. Yeah, wouldn't it be easy if all our soils were just perfect and we didn't have to tweak all these things out there? But it's just not the way it works. You've got growing conditions that uh, challenge a crop. You have crops that perform a little different in different parts of the field. You've got fertility that may go unused. You've got excesses in the parent material of the soil. You've got differing soil types as you head through the field. There's a lot of challenges out there. And one of the things that we're talking about today is just managing soil pH. You got a high pH, what can you do to make things better? You got a low pH, what can you do? And what can impact profitability this year versus a long-term fix? Because, hey, you got to make money as you're going along here. You can't not make money for five years and hope to keep farming the whole time. I uh, need to be profitable along the way, too. So we'll talk about managing soil pH. We'll take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD as well. Got Glenn Harris with us right now at the University of Georgia. Glenn, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. All right. People say if you've got a low pH, it's easy to fix, but I would disagree a little bit because uh, even though lime can certainly help things, there's a lot of different grades of lime. Uh, there's there's dolomitic lime. There's calcitic lime. There's some with uh, small particle size, some with big particle size. It's it's a lot more difficult than just saying, oh yeah, put some lime out there. Yeah, and uh, luckily in, in Georgia, we have um, our Department of Ag has a lime law where you have to meet certain specifications. So um, for, for our regular ag lime, as long as you're meeting those specifications, uh, you know, there might be slight differences. One might be a little higher in neutralizing value or one might be a little higher in calcium or magnesium. But luckily, um, you know, they're, they're, they can all be good limes and should, should work well. When you use lime, you just you aren't guaranteed on the dryland acre that you're going to catch any rain and stuff's going to uh, get mixed into that soil. I mean, most years it rains, but some years it just doesn't. What do you give for recommendations in terms of uh, what kind of change you're going to get each year and how many years that lime's going to work for? Yeah, yeah, and and I thought this was leading to you know how far in advance because you know that that's the question I get the most is you know how far out ahead of time do I need the lime to bring the pH up and 
you know, a lime material should have some fine materials and some medium and then some larger. So you kind of get, you should get some pH coming up right away and then some kick in later to hold it, that kind of thing. And uh, the old textbooks used to say be six months ahead uh, in advance, but now we say about three months, I, I think, because our limes have a little more uh, fine materials in them. But uh, we're, we're poorly buffered soils in, 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 in South Georgia where we're growing cotton and peanuts. And, uh, you know, we, we can get away with we, – we sample every year, which is a little different than the Midwest because our pH can – poorly buffered, they can drop – pH can drop on us fast. But, but it also doesn't take as much lime to bring it up. So it's, it's not unheard of for, for, for our growers to be putting out about a ton of lime uh, every year or every other year. And, and it's, it's probably going to raise it about a half a point on our scale. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of difference in, in what you're dealing with for soils and what you can expect. We've got some really heavy soils, high organic matter, and no-till in an area that doesn't get much much rainfall. Yeah, yeah we got to be further out in front. And yeah, that was you're right. It was going to be my follow-up question. So how far ahead do you got to be and, and how much yeah. do you got to use in all this? Now, as you're looking at pHs across Georgia, do you run into a high pH anywhere or is it almost always a low pH? It's mostly low, but once in a while we will get some high pHs. For some reason, um, we have some dairy production, and it seems like they get their pHs pretty high. So, but but our soils are naturally acidic. So if they're high, that means that, that there's been some kind of liming material or something uh, with liming capacity put out, and it's that's gotten it to be high. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As you travel around the country, some folks are like, why are you always talking about low pH? We've got high pHs in our area, but uh, it's kind of easy, like you say. If you've got a, a parent material that's that tends towards the lower side, you know, hey, we did something here. Let's, let's make the adjustment to get it back into a, a decent range. Uh, you know, and the good thing, too, with low pH, at least you've got pretty decent micronutrient availability. That can be a real challenge at the high pHs. That, that's correct, and... Um... You know, we, we, and, and peanuts are sensitive to zinc toxicity, which is, which is available at low pHs. So it's another reason for us to lime. But then if we over lime, we end up with, with manganese deficiency. But it's easier to fix, fix a manganese deficiency on a peanut because zinc toxicity, you basically got a dead peanut. So, <laughs> so we'd rather have a little higher pH. And, and the only things we recommend to bring it down is, you know, if it, you know, elemental sulfur and aluminum sulfate can work, but it's not really usually economical to do that on a on a on a, a large scale. So we just try to use um, like ammonium sulfate fertilizer to help bring that pH down. Yeah, a lot of different things that that folks can do uh, as we're trying to bring pH down. It's oftentimes a little little more tricky. Bringing pH up is is get that lime out there. In Georgia, it's three to six months in advance. Uh, in South Dakota, in dry land, no-till, it might be, might be a little bit further out than that, but uh, really appreciate hearing, uh, hearing the differences there. We're talking with Glenn Harris with the University of Georgia. Glenn, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Got Tom Weir on with us right now. He's up in Saskatchewan. Okay, Tom, so, uh, so Glenn took the low pH side. That, that leaves you with the high pH end of this discussion. Yeah, that's right, and I guess that's where I am. Uh, we're in an area of uh, east-central Saskatchewan, which is in a, a belt of, of soils probably a couple hundred miles wide, which uh, run diagonally across the province and then into Manitoba and North Dakota, which are uh, less or cursed, I guess, uh, as pre being pre-lined. Uh, when glaciation occurred here, uh, there uh, 
few hundred or a few thousand years ago, there was a, a band of exposed limestone from oh, west of Prince Albert in Saskatchewan down to north of Winnipeg. And when the glaciers went over, they ground up this uh, limestone and uh, for the next uh, two, three hundred miles dropped uh, when the glaciers receded, they dropped all this pulverized limestone on our soil. Well, that was nice of them. Pre-limed soils. I like that term. <laughs> it is pretty descriptive because we've got excess lime uh, in, in our soils and we've got a high pH out there. But the question is what to, what to do about it. That's not exactly easy, especially in the geography you're talking about. You don't have the longest growing season. you got some pretty heavy soils, too, which has got to make change even tougher. That's right. Our, our soils are... are um quite highly buffered they, they've got uh, fairly high clay content a lot of them and, uh, and with the uh, the calcium we've got uh, there uh, it takes a lot of, of a product to, to do anything with the pH elemental sulfur you can put on 100 pounds of elemental sulfur and uh, not see it move wow Wow. Yeah. And that's not cheap either. And, you know, the other challenge uh, through through really a lot of the North Country has been drainage. If we've got heavy ground and no place to go with the drainage or restrictive laws uh, holding drainage back, uh, that that can be a real challenge for, for growers. If you can't get things to flush through the soil, it's tough to make a change. Yeah, but on the other uh, side of that is our, our highest pH soils are actually our um, tops of, uh, of knolls or, or the higher ground because the uh, the a lot of the, the higher uh, calcium is in the in the uh, lower A B horizons and, and in those areas the uh, the because the soil depth is less that's got mixed in with the uh, the topsoil so actually. On the top of a knoll, I'd expect to see in this area um, on eight three eight five, and uh, in the in the lower areas, the the uh, bottom land, shall we call it, uh, we'd probably see uh, seven seven two seven four. So it's kind of uh, where it's poorly drained. We actually have the uh, lower uh, pHs. Very interesting. Uh, last question for you, Tom. How's how's harvest and everything going in your part of Saskatchewan? Are guys pretty well wrapped up? Well, uh, yeah, they're probably 95, 98% done right around here. We've also received in the last uh, couple of days uh, four or five inches of, of uh, snow, and it's been sitting at uh, minus 5, minus 8 Celsius or uh, high 20s so i think that they're not done uh, mother nature's putting them into harvest yeah i'm afraid that weather's heading this direction too we've got snow in the forecast here later this week hey tom thank you so much really appreciate the info on on the high ph side of uh, managing soil ph we'll talk more about soil ph right after this my mom's got a new case i tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car. Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? 
Check out CaseIH.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot it's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its cornhead should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago cornheads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears, self-adjusting deck plates save kernels, longer knife rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other cornhead works like a Drago or pays you back like one. Get the best deals of the season through December 15th. Learn more at dragooffers.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, talking about managing soil pH on the show today. And Brian started off the show by making this statement. If your pH is a long ways off from 7, whether that's way high or way low, there's a nutrient imbalance of some sort out in the field. And you've got to do some soil testing to figure out why your pH is off by a long ways. And that's going to influence what we can do or what the options are anyway to try to get that soil pH pH back in line. Uh, got Ron Meyer with us right now with Colorado State University. Ron, what do you see out there for, for pH issues in, in the soils in your area? Good afternoon. Yeah, so we have high pH soils in eastern Colorado. Uh, typically, we're 7 point, we start at 7.3 and some of our hilltops are 8. And so we, that's a, you know, a an issue we deal with yearly and so um, and I liked your comment about soil testing you got a soil test or, or you have no clue where you're starting from all right so you see these 7.3 to 8 pH soils is it high calcium is it high magnesium high sodium what are what are some of the things that can get out of balance 
Yeah, we're we're we have calcium high soils, and so uh, that's that's what we are. Our soils are wind deposited; they're silt loams, and so uh, high calcium carbonate levels essentially. And uh, the, the the soil scientists will put a little acid on, and it fizzes right away. Tell them that it's got lots of calcium in that soil. So yeah, that's what we deal with, and low pH, or a high pH, and low organic matter levels as well. So sometimes our organic matter levels are below one percent on top of that high pH, and so uh, there are some fields with some pretty serious issues. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, okay, good. A good thing about a lower organic matter is you can probably make changes a little faster than if you had five or six or seven percent organic matter. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we use a lot. Trying of to find the positive uh, here, Ron. I'm trying to find the positive for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, so so we do uh, use micronutrients uh, on micronutrient sensitive crops. Corn's one of them, and so we'll use both zinc and sulfur in our corn fields, and um, especially on those pH levels that are above seven five. Uh, zinc and sulfur on corn is is uh, beneficial. So we use a lot of that. Um, and we grow a lot of winter wheat out there as well. Now, wheat is not so responsive to micronutrients. So the rule of thumb is if you have pH levels above 7.5 and organic matter levels below 1%, then wheat will respond to sulfur and zinc both. Okay. pH over 7.5 and organic matter less than 1? Is that what you said? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and we do have some soils, uh, some of our hilltops fit into that category. So that's for wheat. For corn, you know, it's a little more sensitive. And so, you know, pH levels above 7.5, then we're adding sulfur and zinc both because we get a response in corn. All right, talk to us about irrigated versus dry land. On irrigated, you got some extra assets there, but is the water quality an issue at all, or, or is water quality good and, and not driving pH up at all? Yeah, mostly our uh, irrigation source is the Ogallala Aquifer, and it's an excellent quality source of water. So uh, that that water source is so good that it's not affecting anything uh, negatively uh, in our fields. Now, we, if you go north and south uh, from eastern Colorado, uh, northern Colorado fields, uh, they're irrigating out of the Platte River, uh, the southern Colorado fields are irrigating out of the Arkansas River, and there they do have some salts in those that, that irrigation water, and so that represents a little different issue for them. But for the most part, the Ogallala Aquifer is really a high-quality water source. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Some of the water coming out of Yellowstone has so much sulfur in it too, and everybody's got a little something different to change. And and like we talked about with, or to deal with, I should say, and like we talked about before, getting a soil test is good. If you're using water, if you're in control of the water going out in your field, make sure you're getting a, a good water sample too to see what you're dealing with there and what your what your assets are and and what are some of the considerations you got to have if things aren't quite as good. Um, you know, Ron, as, as we're looking at different crops that, that are being raised, if you've got a higher pH, there are certainly crops that do better in those types of soils than others. Does that influence crop rotation, or, or is it still, hey, we need corn, so we got to grow it whether it likes it or not? Yeah, we're big corn producers in Colorado. We're a net corn importer of corn because of our livestock industry, and so we not only use every 
bit of corn we produce, we're importing it from uh, states like Nebraska. So yeah, uh, we're corn farmers, and so we're adjusting uh, pH levels and, and micronutrient deficiencies by adding them at planting time usually. And so, uh, yeah, our corn farmers, uh, they love growing corn, and uh, they're willing to spend some money on the micronutrients to get that corn yield where it needs to be. Yeah, a very important crop, and I know there are areas, like you say, that are uh, net importers. Our our state is one that's got plenty of corn, which is great and a a wonderful asset to have, but um, there are some crops in, in our area that don't like those high pH as well. And there's others that kind of like pH a little better. Like for example, uh, uh, alfalfa is one in our area. We really want to make sure we've got a pH more in line with at least seven. And some of the guys fighting the low pH soils here, they, they just don't have much luck raising alfalfa unless they can get things up. And, uh, you know, in that seven, three to eight range, you can still raise an awful lot of crop out there. And, like you had mentioned, we're talking with Ron Meyer here at Colorado State. Micronutrient availability gets to be a little bit different in some of these soils. NPNK, though, Ron, don't really see a big adjustment, do you, when you're dealing with the seven versus an eight? Correct. Yeah, we're, yeah. NPNK, uh, you know, there you you apply to the yield goal and not necessarily to pH levels or micronutrient levels or things like that. So you're right. Uh, the major nutrients, uh, you know, you set a yield goal and know from your soil test where you're starting and then you add accordingly. But uh, there are some guys with uh, hilltops that have, you know, pH levels near eight and you had asked about what crops perform better on those. So wheat is one of them that will tolerate higher pH. And then a crop like sunflower will also tolerate high pH soils. And so, um, you know, there's some options there, but for the most part, uh, those fields are, are pretty small, uh, acreage wise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, we, we look at some of the different causes in our area. We've got some, some salty ground, some high sodium ground. Some of those things can create some different issues. High calcium carbonate. I can, can certainly, uh, sympathize with that. We've got a little bit of that on our farm too. like you do over in Colorado. Talking with Ron Meyer here with Colorado State. Ron, thank you so much. Always always love having you on the show, and, and thanks for all the, the info today. Thank you. All right, I want to come back to this high pH soil, and we get a lot of questions about elemental sulfur, and so I appreciate some comments we had earlier in the show about, hey, elemental sulfur can be used. It's just it's it's expensive. So... I just wanted to tell you what we do on our farm that we we think works pretty well. So when we get over a 6.5 pH, about once every three years, we'll put on some elemental sulfur. And here's the formula we use for our farm. Now, I'm not saying this will be right for your farm, but for our soils, around 20 cation exchange capacity, maybe a little more, um, on average, this is what we do. So we'll put on 15 pounds of elemental sulfur for each tenth of a point on pH above six and a half. And this fall, I think I, I think I may have adjusted that, and we probably didn't even start running 15 pounds until seven pH. But anyway, so for example, let's say that we started at 6.6. You put on 15 pounds, 6.7, 30 pounds, 6.8, 45 pounds, and so on all the way up. So if I had an eight pH, it'd be 225 pounds. I just looked at our current cost of elemental sulfur, 26 cents a pound delivered right to our farm. So that's $58.50 if I had an eight pH soil, and I would only do that once every three years or so. 
So a couple of things about Elemental Sulfur. It also, like gypsum, is not a miracle product. But here, here are two things you need to know that a lot of people don't talk about. One, it's the fineness of the elemental sulfur, how quickly it's going to dissolve. And number two, you have to have great drainage. You have to have air in that soil for the elemental sulfur to convert over, lower your pH, turn to hydrogen sulfate. Instead of turning to hydrogen sulfide in a poor drainage situation, where your, your soil smells like rotten eggs. So anyway, we're going to talk a little more about managing soil pH right after this. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today just talking about soil pH. So I want to finish up on high pH, and then I want to talk just a little bit more about low pH and one of the main issues that we've seen across the country, across 
the world, really. Uh, okay, so high pH soil. A lot of times we're talking about five things. It's poor drainage. You can obviously fix that with tile. Number two, your topsoil has disappeared. We see that in a lot of our eroded hilltops around here. Obviously, you can fix that by building new topsoil. And don't tell me, oh, it's going to take a 1,000 years to build new topsoil. That's not true. I'm not saying you can't build three feet of topsoil in a few years, but you absolutely can start making improvements and building topsoil fairly quickly. So you just have to reduce tillage. You want to plant crops with lots of roots like corn. Use manure or compost. Use cover crops. Use biologicals. There are a lot of ways that you can work on building new topsoil. Okay, number three is poor irrigation water quality. Four is high magnesium and five is high sodium. So we've talked about fixing the high magnesium and high sodium a little bit. Turn it into a salt. With Have good drainage. Over time, those things will flush out. But a big key is catching issues before they become issues. So sodium is the main one. I mean, for a lot of people, they have high clay. And like the clay in our part of the world, it's Montmorillonite clay that contains lots of magnesium. So if you have lots of clay, you have lots of magnesium, period. There's nothing you could do about that initially. Now, you can work on that soil and reduce the magnesium over time, over a long period of time. But I'm just saying that really that issue really couldn't be helped. On the other hand, High sodium, in a lot of cases, can be helped. Where we see high sodium issues are where we have poor drainage, where we have excess manure hauled over a long period of time, or, again, poor irrigation water quality. Those are the three most common things that I usually deal with. And where I'm going with this is it's even like on our own farm. We got our soil test back this fall, and we've been pushing it a little bit on manure for the last couple of years last probably three years and so we got some areas now that are over one percent on sodium and they might even be two percent is that a complete killer on yield no of course not but when i get above one percent red flags better be going up and i gotta say whoa whoa whoa, what are we doing here how much are we putting on where are we putting it do we have the right drainage do we, i mean how are we managing our crop overall and our soil I want to catch it when I'm in that 1% to 2% range or 3%. And I certainly want to catch it before I get to 5 But we we see a lot of soil samples where it's 10% or 15%. Well, your soil's mostly dead at that point. And to make matters worse, that's where we see more carryover issues because microbes break down herbicides and they can't do it if they're dead. So... Anyway, we see more carryover issues. We see poor crop. So not only did you do harm to your soil, you hurt your crop, which then means you're not pulling as much sodium out of the ground. And if you continue putting more sodium out there, things just get worse and worse, and pretty soon your soil is literally dead. You can't have that. So that's why you need to soil test on a somewhat regular basis. And also why you should never do composite tests. When you're sampling 20, 30, 100 acres all with just one sample, that's not good enough because you might have an area in the field that's got really high sodium. Well, if you catch it early enough, then you can continue to have good production over the years. Eventually, if you're just doing composite tests, you're going to find areas in your field that are half dead. And you go, what the heck's going on? Well, I know what's going on, but we didn't catch it early enough because we didn't do enough soil testing. Soil testing is unbelievably important. Anyway, 
if you have high soil pH, don't lose hope. Okay, you got an 8 pH or whatever it is. You can still raise a decent crop. It's going to take a lot more management, a little more work, more money, but you can raise a decent crop. And just, I, I guess I would just say, make sure you're working on this to try to fix whatever issues are out there. So hopefully your pH doesn't remain that high over time. But just do everything else possible to raise a good crop. That means balancing all plant nutrients. And just think about it this way. The more crop you can raise, roots don't just bring in water and nutrients. They also kick out organic acids, which at least will temporarily lower that soil pH. And that's a good thing. You can use elemental sulfur if you want. You can use ammonium sulfate. I mean, it's going to be very slow. But, I mean, you, you can do ammonium sulfate, and hopefully over time that will help. Elemental sulfur is going to help usually the most if you have the right conditions. But if you've got any questions about that, just send us your soil test, and we'd be happy to, to take a look at them. Now, let's talk about the low pH side because I'll, I'll just, I don't want to, I don't think we need to spend lots of time on the low pH side because we've talked about it a bunch already today. But I do want to say this. On our farm, when we first started doing one-acre soil test grids, we found some... Uh, let's say not uh, not very pleasant things. Soil pH is four two four seven four nine. I'm not going to say we're unbelievably common, but we have 3,500 crop acres. Did we have I don't know 200 acres or more that was less than a five pH? We sure did. And you say, what? In your area, a lot of the pHs are in the sixes. Yes, I know. A lot of our pHs are good. But why would we have these areas in fields that got clear down into the fours? Do you really think it was that way when it was native prairie? No way. I do not believe that at all. I think that is man-made. We caused the problem. And the problem had been caused, and the start of the cause was years ago. And I just want you to think about this. When you apply your fertilizer, do you put on a flat rate of nitrogen across the field? Do you look at, all right, I'm averaging 200 bushel corn. I'm shooting for 230 there this year, so I'm going to put enough nitrogen on for 230 bushel corn. Okay, that's nice to say, but in areas in that field, are they maybe 180, 150, 120? So if you got enough nitrogen for 230 bushel corn and you're only raising 120 or 150 in some spots, I'm not saying everywhere, I'm saying in some spots, well, in those spots, you've got a lot of excess nitrogen. So what happens to that excess nitrogen? Does it just hang out there and wait until, well, some year we're going to have crop here that will, will bring us in and then we get used? No, it doesn't work that way. That, that nitrogen is going to convert to nitrate, and then eventually it'll be nitric acid, and it's going to strip calcium out of your soil. And what does that do to your soil pH? that's going to lower it. So it was pretty evident when we started doing these soil tests, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, now I now I see we got some major issues here. And it's just spots. And that's part of the reason why then it gets even worse for yield in those areas. So, yeah, your yield was a little less, but then you put more put nitrogen on, it strips more calcium out, pH goes down, now your yield's a little less yet. And what we found on our farm... We compare every single pH point at even 0.1. So like 
what's a 5 pH doing to our yield? What's a 5.1? What's a 5.2? What's a 5.2? What are all these doing to our yield? With corn, it is a killer. You get your pH low, you're your toast. I mean, it's bad news. So this is, you should have already enough incentive to manage your nitrogen as best you can, just financially, for that year, and spending as little as possible, or put it another way, spending the dollars correctly, spending the dollars wisely to get the best return on investment. But the flip side of that is, if you don't do that, now you can make your soil worse, and that's exactly what happened on our farm. So we like talking a lot about the things that have gone wrong on our farm. So hopefully you don't make the same mistakes that we did, our dad did, our grandpa did. Um, we, we, we want you to know that this soil pH thing is a really big deal, but it's not just, oh, lime to manage pH or elemental sulfur to manage pH. No, it's literally every nutrient that you apply. Anything you put out there can adversely affect your pH or positively affect your pH depending on overall balance in the soil, what your crop needs, and what your soil needs. So anyway, we'd really encourage you do more soil testing. Again, if you got questions, uh, you can certainly call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. We'd love to look at your soil tests. We'd love to help you out with anything we can See so raise better crop, more nutritious crop, and have a healthier soil. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. In 1923, Bert R. Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Hey Fred, how's harvest coming? Well, gotta take care of my STDs. Your what? <laughs> my soil transmitted disease. Got white mold spreading in my bean fields again. Foliar fungicides alone just aren't cutting it and I can't seem to get rid of it. Fred, get ahead of the spread. My agronomist highly recommends Contans WG from Sipcam Agro. It's definitely your solution to control white mold at its source. Huh, thanks Joe. I'm calling my retailer today for Contans WG. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, 
a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It is the Ag PhD Mailbag time. Taking your emails and your phone calls right now throughout the rest of the show. You can email us radio at agphd.com or give us a phone call at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one that came in from Cole. He said, guys, I'm in North Carolina, and I'm having an issue with this low production area for fescue hay production. I'm attaching a soil sample and curious if you have any recommendations. Well, one thing I noticed, Brian, we were talking pH today. Got pH down in the fives. That's something I would say would be a pretty easy one to say, here's the low-hanging fruit. Get that one fixed up and see how improving the calcium availability and bringing that pH up could change things. Yeah, we just want to get it in the, into the sixes. You don't have to go way into the sixes, but you need to get it into the sixes. And here's here's the thing, too. The cation exchange capacity, 5.6 and 5.1. Um, it, it's just, it's light ground. So I don't care how much else you do. If you don't get rain on a fairly regular basis, you're going to be in trouble. But... The good news is if you do have ample and available fertility, then your crop, the fescue, will require at least a little bit less rain. So that does help. Uh, Also, when we talk about lime, and we didn't get to this today, if you've got low magnesium, like in one spot, he's at 14% magnesium on a 5.2 pH. When the pH is less than 10, we'd really kind of like to see that magnesium closer to 20. So the question we get all the time from people is, should I use calcitic lime? That's mainly calcium and just a little bit of magnesium. Or should I go dolomitic lime that's got more magnesium? Still lots of calcium, but a little more magnesium. So I'm probably thinking dolomitic lime when I've got magnesium that's that low. Now, magnesium can tighten a light soil. Calcium can loosen a heavy soil. So that's really kind of the difference. With magnesium, we want the number a little bit higher when we've got a light soil like this, where it's uh, five for cation exchange capacity. When we have, like on our farm, we got a lot of 20 or 30 cation exchange capacity, then we want the magnesium a little lower. We want, we want to be down maybe near 12 or something like that. Okay, the other thing is potassium numbers are pretty low. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of test was run here. I didn't see what testing method they used. But uh, this does a, it appears anyway like you've got 41 parts per million. I can't really tell for sure with this. Let me just see. Uh, I got, there's a key. Oh, no, I'll take that back. It says potassium index. So I don't even know what that is. Uh, I, or how they, 
how they're registering they've that. Got, they've got indexes on just about every nutrient, and it, it doesn't tell you parts per million. Just, I need parts per million. Yeah, here's a manganese yep. availability index. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a great answer for you. I'd like to see the base saturation percentage, and I'd like to see the parts per million on K, but I, I believe it could be low, but I don't really know. So I, I just, I'm not familiar with reading results like this. Uh, but we do know the pH is, is off. And then obviously for fescue, it needs a lot of nitrogen and it needs sulfur. Sulfur is going to be leachable for you. So kind of keep that in mind that I'm not saying you have a huge problem today, but I mean, just on a regular basis, you have to keep feeding it a little nitrogen and sulfur and maybe just a tiny little bit of boron too, because those are leachable. And in that light of soil, potassium is somewhat leachable as well. And that's also why I brought up potassium. So those are probably the biggest things I'd focus on. But yeah, in the future, if you can get a soil test that gives us parts per million, that'd be, that'd be helpful for us because we don't, and maybe it's just the region that we're in. We don't deal with an index for different nutrients. All right. Thanks for the question. Get this one uh, from California. This is from Steve. He said, guys, we've got a, an organic egg farm here. And we're curious about tile drainage. So we've got trouble managing springs and water near our barns over the winter months. We've got about two and a half feet of topsoil. But below that, there's a sandstone hard pan that's pretty impregnable during the winter months. So water sits in our range areas, and we just can't even let the hens outside because we don't want them to drink it. Will putting a 4-inch perforated tile line at 2 feet deep help us? I'm just curious if there's anywhere I can go to get some help understanding the process. As a chicken farmer, don't know a whole lot about drainage, can use the help. Yeah. The good news is you probably don't have to put a lot of tile in. You can put some in and just see what you see for a difference. So should that help? Yes. You do want to make sure you get that in to two feet deep, though, because if it's less than two feet deep, your odds of crushing the tile line eventually are much greater. So it, I know we're, we're right on the edge. You said two and a half feet of topsoil. So if we're down at... at two feet deep and it's four inch line that means we're literally the bottom of it's like two inches above the bottom of your hard pan but if you can do that great and that that's what I would shoot for so yes uh, that 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 will probably help solve your problem All right thanks for the question get this one from Thomas over in southwest Minnesota say so guys this will be my first year doing corn on corn and I'm wondering how much nitrogen I'm really going to need the corn stalks are going to get bailed up this fall, so there's not going to be a ton of residue out there, but there'll be a little bit. My yield goal is 250 bushels per acre. My CEC is right around 20. And here's what I was thinking. I'd like to put 100 pounds of nitrogen out in the form of anhydrous this fall, then come in with 100 pounds of nitrogen with spring urea and ammonium sulfate, and then also put liquid 32% nitrogen with my harness pre-emerge. We usually do 12.5 gallons per acre of 32% with the pre. Is that going to be enough for my 250 bushel yield goal? I would need to see two other numbers. Number one, how much nitrogen do you have in the ground right now? And num number two, uh, what's your soil organic matter? Now, here's the thing. Nitrogen nitrate when it becomes nitrate can leach at any point so if you get lots of rain then a little bit of this goes out the window 
But I'm just simply saying, if we know what we have going in, and we see, okay, soil organic matter, if we have a bunch of that, we're going to release a lot of free nitrogen there. Um, that will tell us kind of where we're at. So let me let me just explain it a little more this way. If you look on our Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, because we get lots of questions about how much nitrogen does a corn plant need, and we'll have guys say, well, my crop only needs seven tenths per bushel. No, it doesn't. Your crop does not need that. Your crop needs the same that every anybody else's does, and that's 1.12 pounds per bushel. I'm not saying you have to apply that, though. And so what a lot of people refer to, this 0 0.7, 0 0.6, 0 0.8, whatever it is, that is what they're applying. Okay, so we have to look at what's carried in for nitrogen and how much nitrogen we're getting for free out of that soil organic matter. And then to make it even more precise, what we suggest is doing a pre-citrus nitrate test when your crops say knee high, pull a nitrate test and see what, what actually is there and see how far you think that can carry you through the season and go from there. So does it sound like you're probably going to be in the ballpark? It sounds like it, but I don't know for sure. And that's kind of where I'm going at because I need those other couple of numbers. Beyond that, I would say you're, if you've got a 20 CEC, we'll usually tell guys, all right, that can hold about 200 pounds of nitrogen, just ballpark. Not exact, but just ballpark. Okay, well, you might have 50 pounds out there already. Okay, you're going to apply 100. So now you're down to 50 left for capacity, and you just said in the spring you're going to put on urea and ammonium sulfate, and then you're going to put some 32% on with the harness pre. So before your corn is even has even germinated, um, you've got, uh, let's see, what would that be? You applied 200 and call it 40 pounds, plus you had carryover. So I'm just saying, you start getting some big spring rains, your soil's not going to hold all that. So that's my fear, is you're going to end up losing some. And I think you might be excessive already anyway. Now, granted, I mean, with your corn-on-corn -corn residue, can some of that nitrogen get tied up even through next season? It can. A lot of times they'll say, if you're corn-on-corn, -corn, I'd probably put an extra 50 pounds out. But uh, you just said you've taken a bunch of the residue away. So you probably, you're not like a true corn-on-corn -corn situation. So anyway, yeah, I, I think you've got almost an excessive amount there, but I'd like to see your soil test. Brian, one other quick hitter. Tyler says, where do you guys want to see your manganese parts per million on a Malik 3 test? On our farm, I like 50. 50 is my minimum. My goal is 100, uh, but manganese is really expensive. So make sure you prove it out before you go spending 50 or or $100 an acre on manganese. Try it on a small scale. Make sure that it actually gives you a yield response. Thanks for listening to today's program. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.